following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2009 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. Take your Bible tonight and open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And tonight we're looking at verses 1 through 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. And uh, this is one of the most misunderstood chapters in prophecy, but it's one of the most important chapters in prophecy. In fact, this chapter has comments and statements that uh, are not found in any other prophetic section of God's Word. And it illuminates us to many areas of prophecy, especially dealing with the day of the Lord. The topic tonight is the great deception. And I'm bringing two messages on the great deception. And I believe after you hear these messages, you will see how deceived people are becoming in our age, and especially in the time of the tribulation. Now, the context here is that uh, Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey. They've just planted a church in Philippi, and they're moving on to Thessalonica that's 100 miles away. And Thessalonica is a Greek city that's actually under Roman control at this time. It's the capital of Macedonia. It's a free city, and it's a city on major trade routes that are running through it, and so it's a wealthy city as well. And uh, Paul is uh, moving on to Thessalonica, and the story is told in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Now, Steve just said that uh, it said that these men turned the world upside down. After Paul had been to Thessalonica, this is where this statement comes from. These men turned the world upside down in planting a church in Thessalonica. But I like to put a different spin on it. I like to say they turned the world right side up at that time, at least those who came to the Lord. Now, as we look at Acts chapter 17, and I didn't have you turn there because I'm only going to deal with this for just a few moments, the scripture says that uh, as Paul's manner was, he went into the synagogue. Whenever Paul went to a new city to minister, it was that he went into the synagogue because there the Jewish people were, and they knew the scriptures, which were the Old Testament revelation, and he would start there to minister unto them. I'm sure when he came in, they would say, Brother, do you have a greeting? And Paul says, ay, 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 do I have a greeting? You just wait and see. And so he came and he gave them a greeting. And it says in um, Acts chapter 17, verse 2, that he reasoned with them from the scripture. I like uh, that word reason. I think Menno reasons with us from the word of God, doesn't he? He will take an Old Testament portion and 
he will unfold it, and I said unpack it at the banquet, and he will tell us what it's actually saying, put us in the picture and reason back and forth. And that's what Paul was doing in the synagogue at Thessalonica. And it says in verse number 3 that in essence he's opening up the meaning of the scripture to them. And then it goes on to say that what he did was give evidence of Christ's death, suffering, and resurrection. And pointedly was showing them that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Now, the text tells us that he ministered there on three Sabbath days. It means that he uh, spent three weeks there, and uh, he worked with his hands while he was there to pay his way. And the result, there was a few uh, Jewish people came to the Lord, but a great many Greeks, and I believe the Greeks were God-fearers who had come to the synagogue And they wanted to know about the true and living God, and so many of them might have gone into Judaism at that time. They were actually proselytes. And uh, a few Jews, many Greeks, but it says also in the text, influential women. Isn't it interesting that Paul mentions many influential women came uh, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So this was the results. Now, uh, really, they did turn the uh, Thessalonians upside down because some Jewish people were bent out of shape, and what they did was start to persecute this young new church. The persecution got so great that Paul and Silas had to really flee Thessalonica and went down to Berea. So he could only spend three Sabbath days there. But From the first letter that he wrote back to them in 1 Thessalonians, he writes this. He dealt with uh, their salvation, sanctification. He dealt with Christian living. He dealt with missions, uh, apostasy, uh, the rapture, rewards, the day of the Lord, the Antichrist, the second coming, and God's wrath. Would you say that's some heavy doctrine to lay upon people who had only been uh, Christians for a few weeks or were new believers? I think so. But often uh, when a person comes to the Lord, you know when they get into the Word of God what they want to study first? The book of Revelation. And we uh, discourage them and we say, no, the book of Revelation is too deep. You need something like the Gospel of John. By the way, the Gospel of John's very deep as well, and it's not an easy book in places. But uh, we discourage them, and you know what happens when we discourage them? They go down the road, and they will get in lockstep with somebody who's teaching the book of Revelation. Often it's the wrong teaching. So if a person wants to really study Revelation even as a new believer, I don't discourage them. You know what I do? I say, well, that's good. Thank you very much. I have the right book to put right here in your hand, and I'd like to take you through verse by verse and step by step. You know, if a person can learn computer science today and aeronautical engineering and uh, become a doctor and an attorney and all of that at a young age, I'm sure they can get into the Word of God, be taught properly, and be grounded in the Word of God. So Paul grounded this church in the Word of God. 
Now, the church had some problems because some men had uh, come in uh, and uh, I believe they were spreading some falsehoods. One thing is that uh, some of the uh, Thessalonican believers had uh, passed off the scene, had died, and uh, the Thessalonians wondered, did they miss the rapture of the church? And Paul wants to assure them, no, they had not missed the rapture of the church. And in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and we've heard a lot about that, he, uh, he penned uh, a message to them to encourage them. He said, I wouldn't have you ignorant brethren. He's not chastising them or chastening them. What he is doing, he is really saying, I want you to be informed. I want you to know. And so he cleared up that misconception. But another misconception had come into the fellowship, and uh, they were confused on the day of the Lord. I think there were some men who came in and said, we are in the day of the Lord now. And they were shocked, and uh, they were astounded, and uh, their confidence was shaken. And uh, were we in the tribulation, they were thinking? Now, Paul, when he was there, had taught them that uh, they would escape the time of the tribulation. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, he says that God had delivered us from the wrath to come. And then over in the 5th chapter, 9th verse, he says that they were not appointed to wrath. But now if they're in the day of the Lord, the tribulation, wrath had come upon them. And so these people were utterly confused. And what Paul wants to do in this chapter is correct their understanding that no, they were not in the day of the Lord. And he wants to uh, calm the church down, tell the men and women not to get excited. I'm going to tell you the truth on this situation. Now, they're not only people who were confused upon uh, the rapture of the church, day of the Lord, during uh, uh, the Thessalonican day, uh, there are people confused today. And many people are confused on this chapter exactly what it means and the unveiling of the Antichrist as we will see going through it. And so uh, we're going to go through this chapter and we're going to look at what Paul says. And there are five points that I want to leave with you this evening. The first thing is he deals with the rapture of the church and he wants to remind them. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Now, right there, there's confusion among a lot of Christians. The coming of the Lord, and they picture this as the second coming. And so they say, well, you know, this is speaking about the second coming, and uh, Christians are still here, and we're going to gather to them at the second coming, him at the second coming. That means we're going to go through the day of the Lord. We'll be here when the Antichrist is revealed. And that's not what this scripture is taking, saying here. This is not what the verse is teaching. What it is teaching here, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. 
What this is saying is the presence of our Lord. And that is the concept that's being presented here, and it's speaking to the Christian, and we know the Christian is going to be raptured away. It's the rapture that's being referred to here. It's not the time of the second coming, because the church is going to be raptured out. We are pre-tribulation raptures. We're taking, taken out before uh, the tribulation begins. And so that's the concept here. And over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, Paul uh, mentioned about the appearing of the Lord and coming for the church. In that section, he reminded them about the sleeping uh, saints, that they were not going to miss the rapture, and sleeping means simply those who had died and gone on. And he mentions the reappearing of the Lord. It's going to be personal. The same Lord who was taken up from them will come in like manner as they had seen him go. And the procedure is going to be, there's going to be the shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. And we've heard something about that during the conference. And then there's going to be the rapture, or there's going to be the catching up, the catching away, the snatching away. And that's going to happen, as we are told over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the moment, in the twinkle of an eye. It's going to be very, very quick. And then Paul said in uh, that section dealing with that, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And he told these believers in Thessalonian, Thessalonica that they should uh, be reassured, they should comfort one another with these words. So don't be confused with the rapture and the second coming. The rapture, the Lord comes in the clouds of heaven. We go to meet him in the air and we go to Father's house. In the second coming, we are coming back with the Lord to planet earth and we are going to reign and rule with him here in our glorified bodies for a thousand years. And so Paul wanted to assure them and to remind them of what he had taught them concerning the rapture of the church. Now the second point that I want you to see here is the rumor. And the subject of the rumor is found in verse 2. That the day of the Lord was present. Now this word present uh, literally means has come. And as I've already mentioned, some were fearful that they were already in the tribulation and the day of the Lord had come. Now, the day of the Lord's a very big subject in the Word of God, and you could go through the Old Testament and just mention the, where the day of the Lord is used, and it is a time of judgment, but it's also used in the New Testament. And the day of the Lord is the day when God takes direct control over the affairs of man on this earth, and it extends from the rapture of the church all the way through the tribulation, through uh, the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment, and all the way to the time when there God rolls up the heavens and the earth melts away with fervent heat and there is a new heaven and a new earth. So it's not only a time of judgment, it covers also a time of blessing as well during the time of the millennial kingdom. 
Now, uh, the source of the teaching is given here in verse 2. And there were three possible sources. One was by spirit. It's possible that they had received a prophetic uh, utterance uh, given in a servant a, a service that the day of the Lord was already there. Or maybe they had received it in a word. Maybe some men came in and reported the teaching that they had heard and the church had picked that up. Or maybe it was by letter, a pseudo uh, epistle, maybe with saying this is from the Apostle Paul and this is what he is saying. It's possible that they received a letter like that. But Paul wants to clean the record and, and straighten things out. And he is saying, uh, whether it was uh, by the spirit or an utterance or by the word or by the letter, let me tell you, in essence, he's going to say, we are not in the time of the day of the Lord. Now, their reaction to this is mentioned as well. And Paul says that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be trouble. Now these words are very, very interesting. Uh, the word shaken in mind means like rocking back and forth. It's like a ship that's on the sea and the waves are beating about it and it's rocking back and forth and the ship is being shaken up. That's the idea. And uh, the state of their mind is, was they were troubled. Uh, they were feeling the shock and the fright and the alarm of being in the time of the day of the Lord. And Paul says here, I don't want you to be shaken in mind and I don't want you to be in a state of trouble. And he's saying, don't be soon or quickly shaken by what you're hearing or reading from other brothers who have come into the church. He's saying uh, that you are to be stable, be not soon shaken. And what this word be not really means in the Greek language is he's saying uh, in no way never ever be shaken. Now I believe there are a lot of Christians today that are shaken by words what they hear concerning prophecy. There's a lot of false or pseudo uh, uh, messages being brought on prophecy today that are being uh, preached in many areas. And the only way you are going to understand prophecy is to rightly divide the word of God properly. And there are many people that are confused today because the church doesn't teach them anything on prophecy. You know why you're at a prophecy conference? Probably because your pastor or your Sunday school or the people you talk to don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth on prophecy and you want to come and get it all sorted out. Or you do know and you want to be reinforced and you want to be re-encouraged concerning uh, what you know on prophecy. I think one of the best books uh, that you can uh, purchase and uh, we make it available at the Friends of Israel and I'm not like Steve selling a lot of books here. But uh, one book is the popular encyclopedia of uh, prophecy. And I've taken that uh, book and I've just read through it just because I wanted to know what it said. 
and you can take any subject and rightly divide it and lay it out so that you can unfold it and understand it. Now, we only had one copy back there, so I'm not promoting a book. But I think we need to get a book like that or something like Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost, something where you can rightly divide the Word of God. We need to know in the latter days because if we don't know, how are we going to share with others to rightly divide? Or how are we going to tell other people concerning prophetic truth as it unfolds today? And as we've heard in this conference, things are changing in the United States. Things might be changing because uh, we have a new president that wants change. Or things are changing worldwide. Well, how are you going to know how to sort that out unless you know what the Word of God teaches? So let's rightly divide prophecy and let, let's get it straight so that we really know what's going on. Now, uh, there is a fourth point I want to bring out to you here, and it's a reminder in verse 3. Paul says, let no man deceive you. And this word, uh, deceive you, means to beguile you or mislead you. And it's saying, don't let a man or permit anyone to come and deceive you on uh, what is truth and what is error concerning the day of the Lord. Now Paul also write, wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, he said, Evil men will grow worse and worse and deceiving many. In the latter days, it's going to be harder to sort these things out. Wickedness and evil men are going to come forth teaching things that are not true and deceiving many. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, uh, we have Peter saying that there will be false teachers bringing in destructive heresies among you. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 and, and the book of Jude is all given over to false teachers. And so you want to know how to discern false teachers? Then you read 2 Peter 2 and the book of Jude and digest that and understand it so you'll have discernment. And then Jesus said something very, very interesting over in Matthew chapter 24. You know, he was up on the Mount of Olives and he gave his Olivet Discourse. And uh, the disciples came to him after he said that the, not one stone would be left one upon another of the temple. And they asked him uh, about this. And he said, they said, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age. And here's how Jesus answered them. And Jesus answered and told and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And what he is saying here, take heed or beware that no one leads you astray. And then he had another word to say going on further in this chapter. In verse 24 he said, For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that... If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Verse 26, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. And he just says here, Behold, I have told you before. 
He is saying here that you have to beware and on guard on what men are saying and what they are teaching concerning the latter days. And you can't believe uh, signs and miracles and wonders. And that's what the Antichrist is going to do when he comes forth. And we'll be seeing that in the next message. And so uh, what he is saying here is don't let men lead you astray. And notice what it says in verse 3. It says uh, in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, by any means or any method. Remember that Satan uses all kinds of disguises. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 through 15, it says here that he comes as an angel of light. I mean, uh, there are men out there preaching that are really giving a satanic message, but unless you are aware and your antennas up and you are discerning, uh, they are going to look like angels of light. But it's only the person who knows the word of God. That's why I'm committed to the teaching of the Word of God. I have nothing else to say except what the Word of God says. And I think we need to know this. Then we'll be able to discern the times that we're living in. And there are seductive doctrines that are out there too. You've heard about replacement theology a number of times, covenant theology, amillennialism. Now there are churches where there are saved people, I believe, but they're not going to be able to discern the times that they're living in if they sit under this teaching. Why? Because it's not biblical teaching. It's not grounded in the Word of God. And if this is all they know, how are they going to rightly discern and decide what is correct on prophecies? They're in the dark. And that's why we need to unfold the truth properly in its uh, grammatical, historical, literal context that it is written. And then uh, there are the schemes or the deceits of the devil as well. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, we have uh, Paul telling us about this. And again, here is a double negative. He's saying, let no man deceive you by any means, no, never by any type of means. So don't let a man bringing the wrong means try to sway you and take you off into another direction that's not taught in the word of God. So there are many believers, I believe, that are gullible and not grounded. We need to be grounded in God's word where we know it. And that's why it's very important that we sit under the word of God that is just unfolded verse by verse, precept upon precept. And as I've said during this conference, and you're going to hear in the next hour, that's what Menno does. He goes book by book, word by word, verse by verse, and right through the word of God. And if you approach the teaching that way, oh, it might not be as exciting to you 
And there might not be thrilling stories to hear, although they can be brought in. If you go through the Word of God that way, you're going to have a balance. You're going to know what the book says, and you're going to be taught properly, and uh, you're going to be able to compare Scripture with Scripture and get the answers that you are seeking for. Now the last point that I want to bring out tonight is the revelation in verse 3. It says here, for that day shall not come except, except what? Except four things happen. The day of the Lord is not going to come unless four things take place in the world. The first thing is the rapture of the church. And that was over in verse uh, 1. This must take place before the day of the Lord comes. And then he talks in verse 3 about a rebellion or an apostasy. It's called the falling away first. And this word falling away is the Greek word which means apostasy. It means here that an apostasy is going to take place uh, just before the Antichrist is revealed, the day of the Lord comes, uh, the apostasy, I believe, is going to start in the church uh, at the, the end of the church age, before the Antichrist comes and, and makes a covenant with Israel. And, uh, you know, there are people who are preaching, we're going to have revival in these latter days. I don't see revival taking place. I think there's going to be an apostatizing, a falling away first. I think there's going to be a great revival in the first half of the tribulation, as Revelation chapter 7 brings out, when God's going to raise up 144,000 flaming Jewish evangelists. They're going to go preach the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world, and a mixed multitude from every nation, tongue, and tribe are going to be saved. But... Uh, there is going to be this apostasy. Now, what does apostasy mean? Well, let me give you a very simplistic definition. It is fully knowing the gospel truth, and after fully knowing this, turning away against it in a final act of rebellion and rejection. And that's a very simple definition it's actually a rebelling against something that you knew. You say, well, can a believer become an apostate? No, I do not believe a true born-again individual can become an apostate and where they write off and deny Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I believe these are professing believers who maybe made profession but were never possessors of salvation, that uh, they come to a place where they reject Jesus Christ completely and turn away from him. And uh, so uh, there's going to be the rebellion. First the rapture, then there's going to be a rebellion. And uh, third, there is the revealing of the man of sin, as verse number three says. Now, the man of sin here really literally means a lawless one. It's speaking about the man of law lawlessness, and uh, he is going to be revealed. 
The man of sin or the man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. And the word revealed uh, is in the aorist tense in Greek, and it means at a specific point, a definite point in history, he is going to be revealed. And uh, I believe he's going to be revealed uh, at the, the time of the making of the covenant with uh, the Jewish people in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. I know there are some people that believe, no, he's not going to be revealed then, but he's going to be revealed when he comes into the temple at the midpoint of the tribulation and takes over. He's going to show his true colors, and then he will be revealed. Well, I lean towards believing he's going to be revealed uh, when he makes that covenant with the nation of Israel and guaranteeing them the peace that they've been looking forward to in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, brings that up. And uh, there is the restrainer that is going to come. And he's going to uh, remove himself from holding back evil. Now that's mentioned in verses 6 and 7 here. And now ye know what restraineth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now hindereth shall continue to hinder until he be taken out of the way. So who is the restrainer that is mentioned here? Well, let me give you some of the candidates of the restrainer. There are many that have been mentioned down through history. Some believe it's the Roman Empire who restrained evil, but uh, I don't see that during the time of the Great Tribulation because, uh, nor in history, because the Roman government didn't really restrain evil, and the Antichrist is not going to use the Roman government to restrain evil. Some believe it's just human government, laws, and morals in the world. No, that's not going to restrain evil. Other believe, others believe it's going to be maybe Michael, uh, the archangel mentioned in Jude uh, verse 9. And I don't think it's going to be him that uh, restrains evil. Some believe it's the preaching of the gospel that restrains evil. And even though the preaching of the gospel has kept evil suppressed in some areas where uh, the gospel was strongly preached, it doesn't really restrain evil throughout the world. And there are those who teach the church is going to restrain evil, that the church is salt and light in the world. Well, the church is here mightily manifested throughout the world, but do you see evil being restrained because of the church is here? No, I don't think so. Uh, I believe the restrainer here has to be the Holy Spirit of God, and uh, it must be a person that is divine like the Spirit of God who is able to really take hold and suppress evil from being manifested throughout the world. And he is going to be removed or taken out of the way or the midst, as the text says here in the authorized translation. What does that mean? Well, some teach that means that the Holy Spirit, when the rapture of the church takes place, the Holy Spirit's going to be taken out of the world. 
That's an impossibility. The Holy Spirit cannot be taken out of the world. Why? Because the Holy Spirit permeates the whole world. The Holy Spirit is going to be here during the time of the tribulation, but he's not going to manifest himself like he is in this age of grace through the church. The Holy Spirit will just pull back his restraining power. He's restraining the the manifestation of lawlessness throughout the world. And when he draws back, then lawlessness through the Antichrist is going to permeate the whole globe during that time. So I believe the Holy Spirit is the restrainer. Now, uh, I think the Thessalonians knew who the uh, restrainer was because in verse 5 it says here, Paul calls them to remembrance. When I was yet with you, I told you these things. So before the day of the Lord, and that's the subject here, before the day of the Lord takes place, there must be the rapture of the church, there must be the rebellion or apostasy, the falling away, there must be the revealing of the man of sin, and the restraining power of the Holy Spirit removed, and then the day of the Lord is going to be manifested. Now, Paul is saying to them, you're not in the day of the Lord. We are not in the day of the Lord. And so that's very clear from God's word. Well, in conclusion, what? There's a lot of great deception out there today. And let me give you some reasons why there are, is, is a lot of deception out there today. Uh, there are a lot of counterfeits, if I've, as I've already mentioned. The occult, the New Age movement has put forth uh, philosophies and teachings that are not according to the Bible. There is a complacency. There are those who are not interested in future events. And there is a lack of credibility because many men who teach prophecy are sensationalists. They use speculation and they try to shock people into following their teaching. And there's a lot of confusion because of the different views that are out there. People are confused. And uh, there is a, a complacency because they say, well, prophecy's just too deep. This is above me. I can't understand it. And there is contention that some believe that prophecy teaches division. It shouldn't. When you get into the word of God and teach it proper, properly, it shouldn't teach division at all. It should bring us together around the word of God where we all say amen. That's what the word of God teaches. But many don't want to study it because they believe it only brings contention. There is the clergy, too, that are not informed. And some have come up to me and they say, oh, we wish we could have a prophecy conference in our church, but our pastor, he doesn't want to teach on the book of Revelation, and he doesn't want to teach prophecy, and we just can't get it in our church. And then there's, I think, covenant theology that's confused a lot of people in the amillennialism and the replacement theology. And then uh, there's the Christian attitude that, uh, you know, they just don't know, and they're easily persuaded by wrong teaching. Well, Paul wanted to clear up this concept of the day of the Lord and calm the fears of the people. 
And I hope that uh, you will think on the things that you've heard from Paul tonight in the Word of God. Study this. And uh, be not soon shaken or troubled in your faith. No, never, not by any other person.